Good evening. My name is uh, Robert Buckingham and I'm the creative director of M Pavilion. Um, uh, thank you very much for coming tonight. Uh, very special night. This is the first uh, Robin Boyd Foundation event at M Pavilion. Um, last year we did several events with the Robin Boyd Foundation um, and they're a, a wonderful organisation in Melbourne, one that we greatly respect. Um, for their work in education and also, of course, preserving um, not only the house of Robin Boyd in Wall Street, but also uh, many of his ideas um, and, and thoughts and attitudes um, about architecture and design and the importance of civics um, and the importance of urban planning. Um, we would also like to um, acknowledge uh, the original owners on the land in which we meet, the Boonarong people, and pay our respects to their elders past, present and into the future. Um, this building, um, as you know, was an initiative of the Naomi Milgram Foundation. Um, it's the second um, of four pavilions that will, will be built on this site. Uh, they're temporary um, pavilions for the summer. Um, and then at the end of that period, they're gifted to the city of Melbourne and are relocated to a permanent site. The first building was designed by Sean Godsall Architects of Melbourne and um, it's been relocated to the gardens behind the Hellenic Museum and I'm in, I would encourage you all to go and have a look at it in its new site if you haven't. Um, and of course this building is designed by ALA, um, UK-based uh, um, architects uh, led by Amanda Levite um, and... Yes, an Anglo-Australian collaboration. Um, Amanda worked with Arab engineers in both Melbourne and London. Um, she worked with um, the fabricators who were based in Brisbane called Moldcam, who developed the petals, uh, which are made of resin and um, uh, carbon fibre. And then the building was constructed by Kane Construction in Melbourne. Um, but I'd now like to introduce Tony Lee, the director of the Robin Boyd Foundation. Thank you, Robert, and just thank you to the Naomi, Naomi Milgram Foundation for inviting us to be you know, participants in this this wonderful sort of journey that Melbourne goes on uh, each year, celebrating design. Um, tonight we're going to talk about designing a family home, and I think this idea came about partly through Robert, but also from an observation of mine a little while ago. One of the things that the Robin Boyd Foundation do is we organise um, public viewings of well-designed buildings, continuing Robin's work in promoting design awareness in the community. And at the moment, we're researching buildings of the 40s and 50s that Robin had designed for an organisation called the Small Home Service. And so I've had my head looking at these very small, very simply planned family homes from the late 40s and 50s. And they're very cellular. There's sort of rooms for sleeping in, there's rooms for eating, there's rooms for living and rooms for, for washing. Very, very simple houses. And then a little earlier this year, we were organising an open day of um, houses that won awards in this year's Institute of Architects programs. And I was in a house designed by Rosa and a house designed by Mel, both which won awards and really magnificent houses. And it just dawned on me that the complexity of these houses is so much greater than the houses from the 40s and 50s. And what was really apparent was that the houses that Rosa and Mel and others are designing today 
have really, I think there's been a, a sort of a generational change or a complete paradigm shift in the the recognition of the way families operate and that the houses that they've designed are actually much more like the workplace. So instead of having individual spaces for individual activities or individual people, there's this incredible fluidity of space and adaptability of space. So there's sort of breakout spaces and group spaces and meeting spaces. So tonight, both Rosa and Mel will be talking about their approach to the design of family homes. So I'll hand over. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. My name is Rosa Coy. I'm a I'm the, a director of Coy Yontas Architects. George Yontas is the other director, and we've had our practice uh, Coy Yontas Architects in Melbourne now for 19 years. And prior to that, we uh, worked for architects in uh, in Paris for eight years. So what I'm what I'm going to do tonight is just talk through uh, how our um, how our approach to uh, the design process has evolved, and how our time um, in Europe um, has affected has affected that process. Um, how our clients and their dreams and their realities affect the design process, and um, and where their and where our clients uh, sit with regard to the stage that they're in in their lives, in what we call um, the five stages of the evolution of the family unit, because there are, because families go through stages in um, as they grow older. So all of this influences, depending on the type of house that we're um, designing, it influences the outcome. So, whoops. Thanks, Hugh. I might get you to stand there. So the five, the five stages. You know, there, there's um, the beginning of the family. A couple, a young couple, um, for, and you know, all these stages we're we're designing houses for. So the definition of family, I thought I would start off with here. Stage one, couple. Stage two, couple, baby, young kids. Stage three, a couple with a growing family, teenage kids. Stage four, uh, the empty nesters, whose kids have, are adult, whose uh, kids have left home, who may uh, be having them visiting with grandchildren who are travelling. So, and then stage five, the aged, older, older couple with... Um, who may need care and um, and so what I'm going to do and what the reason I'm talking about this is because we've addressed um, in two of our uh, own houses we've addressed uh, stage one and two specifically so I'm going to take you through just our uh, how our design process has evolved and talk specifically about how we've designed for our own family I've, did I mention George and I are married? So we're a couple with with a family. So um, uh, and specifically talking about houses two and three. So uh, oh wait one second. I'll to turn. But so we met. We met and we were working in Paris for um, for eight years. So 
that was a bit of a revelation for us working uh, in Europe and um, where the perception of space was, you know, completely different to the way we'd grown up here. And what we came to um, appreciate was uh, design in smaller spaces. And this has strongly influenced our work throughout, particularly when de designing for families, where space can often be at a, um, a premium and... Um, it affects it affects uh, us across all the stages of all those all those five stages of design. So, if we look at, uh, I'm going to start off with house one, which is an un, it was unrealised, but it was really like a building block for, uh, just in a diagrammatic form. George and I were a young couple in Paris. We travelled a lot. We went and looked at a lot of architecture. We looked at new architecture, old architecture. And one thing that really struck a chord with us on a visit to a beautiful chateau in regional France, we were in a um, in a in this castle in a in a turret. We're in this beautiful space. It was a small room, six diameters, um, six meters diameter, and um, you know, with strong fortified walls with um, little niches cut out of them. And we 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 looked at this and we felt, you know, you could. This would do for a couple, you know. This this sort of space and um, a central a central living space, niches for um, for the certain functions, the you know the kitchen, the the bedrooms, the access and egress, and this uh, this was kind of our building block for for um, designing for for the beginnings of a family home and these next stages have all evolved from this. So. Stage coming, coming back from Paris, we got back. We decided we wanted to get back here and start our practice, start our family. Um, we started uh, they both, that both happened at exactly the same time, pretty much. But um, uh, we tended to have, you know, clients that were our age. They were young families with not a lot of money, with young kids, and um, we started working with them and. Uh, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the design process. From our experience in um, Paris, you know, we, we weren't talking square meterages. We were trying to talk about what their what their ideas were about how they wanted to live in these spaces. What and we what we do with our clients is we get them to write, rather than um, we get them to write a bit of a story about how they how they envisage you know their their day in their house. You know, if it's um, that they want to you know see the have the sun shining on their faces in the morning or just trying to understand um, uh, how they would like to live in, in these spaces. And then we deal with their reality, you know, at what stage um, in the five stages they're at. And then, you know, the other reality being what are they coming to us with? What have they got? Have they got a, um, a Victorian that we need to renovate? Have they got a, you know, have they got a new home that we're building? Is it a... Um, and, and the way that we deal with, with that now, as Tony mentioned, you know, these, some of these houses were built 100 years ago and they're no, longer, they're no longer functioning. We're no longer using them the way they were designed to be functioned, if they were designed to be designed at all. And so, you know, it's working with these existing spaces and what we, what we find in, um, with these contemporary, you know, designing a contemporary home, what we need is, what what we need is space, what we need is light. What we need is a sort of a, often a visual transparency and a connectivity with the spaces that was um, really avoided previously. So that all comes into all comes into the design process. 
So coming back um, to the different stages, moving on to the second... I'm just going to have a drink of water. Moving on to the second stage of... Um, the sort of evolution of family. George and I were in a position um, after, you know, designing several houses for clients and um, and friends, we, we got to a point where we needed to design a house for ourselves. So um, we started off, you know, we'd been living in Paris, we'd been living in rental accommodation, uh, which was sort of woefully inadequate for the stage we were at. We were um, I mean, they were, ni they were nice apartments or nice houses. We moved around a bit in the, and, and but, you know, inevitably I was on my knees trying to bathe a child with a sore back. I was, you know, the bedrooms were at one end of the house for the kids and we were up the other end of the house. And, you know, with a young family, the whole, the whole um, what, we've, what we focused on was trying to bring, this is just um, going over the floor plans, the grounds and the living, sort of working off our original um, house one model it was an expansion of you know a living space a second living space coming into it but with a true visual connection so that the living was more fluid and then upstairs instead of having the, the, these separate bedrooms we would the the downstairs toddler you know the the kids actually really shared a very communal living area with sliding doors that allowed them to um to separate from one another if they wanted to but but basically they were all all in together and half the time all in with us as well if there was a nightmare or anything like that. So very close proximity to the, to the parents' bedrooms. And this house, my bath, I'd, we designed and we do, we've done this a few times with clients up at bench height so that babies can't get in, it's safe. But uh, toddlers, small children, they can clamour in and out and, and you can sit on the side there and bathe them. And, you know, practical things like that just make the whole thing function um, there was this visual um, access throughout the house. Um, the kids had a stage, you know, stages to play on in bench seats and things. It was very much a playful house, very much um, designed for, for, for a young family with kids that age. Storage, nooks for them to play in, you know. This house we stayed in for um, uh, about nine years. Just another view through, trying to illustrate the um, just the visual access through the through the spaces, so that you know young parents can see where their kids are without having to. It's just a, a different way of um, without having to without having to worry. So what have we got next? The we stayed in this house. We'll just leave it there for a sec. For nine years. So during that time, we probably designed about thirty other family homes for other people. And, you know, this whole process was um, uh, has contributed then also to the next to, to learning about the next stages of design, learning about, um, and in that time, designing for people with older children, for people with, with, ch with families at all stages through those five stages. So what we then did with, a, with House 3 uh, was take all of that that we'd... Um, uh, learnt from working with clients and and sort of, you know, using our own houses as a bit of an experimental tool, I guess, as well. Just um, uh, expanded on expanded on house two. This time, okay. So the family's expanded here. George and I've got four kids. 
we've got a cat, we've got a, we've got elderly parents that also need accommodation. So you know, this definition of family it can be very broad, and and um, and you know, this is another thing that I think has evolved over over the last hundred years is. Uh, you know, families take on so many forms these days. It's, it, it, you know, there's um, a myriad of ways that they can evolve. So this, working with teenagers and uh, uh, though, this is uh, this is a whole new ball game. So you know, we've got things that we certainly weren't dealing with uh, 50 years ago. We've got technology. We've got monitoring, monitoring that. Um, we've got. Uh, but you know a need to, for a need for privacy, which uh, but not isolation. You know they so, you know in in designing house three we were very careful to give over the spaces to the um, the communal areas. The you can see that the living rooms have kind of um, they're not as connected as the previous version. There's the space yet there's a real visual transparency, which I'll illustrate in a sec. But um, you know the bedrooms each there's there's six bedrooms in this house. Um, five sm tiny bedrooms, with a sixth down here for the grandparents, if, and um, and then a multitude of living rooms, just so that um, the family can uh, be connected, but at the same time have that that extra little bit of space from one another if necessary. So you can see the transparency of the house. You can see from at the ground floor this you know, you can see right through from the front right through to the back. So you can see the um, from inside in the kitchen. I can see the uh, you know the kids in the pool and the way the way the whole thing works. So this house also in dealing um, working with technology and just you know working with kids and the way they and working with storage. I mean, one of the one of the ideas was that you know the kids when they come in they can throw all their throw all their their bags in an individual locker at the doorway. They've got their charging charging points. They've got the computer points. They can you know put all that stuff away. So you know, it it's designed for children. You know they don't they don't uh, they ha all have laptops. They have to take to school. They all have to have them charged. They all have all this stuff needs to be considered now, which obviously we didn't have to consider at all. 20, 50 years ago in these spaces in which we're designing, uh, often designing in now. So moving on, stage four. Stage four, empty nesters, grown up kids, grandchildren coming and visiting maybe or, you know, and hopefully travel and, you know, the stage in your life when you can um, downsize. And we're doing, um, we're doing, we're working with clients on exactly that now, they're, they're selling up their homes, they're downsizing, they're building townhouses, they want something they can lock up, they want to be able to go um, and travel, but at the same time they need a base, and they're back to two. And they've got maybe visiting families that can come in and um, stay with them if necessary, but it's really, um, it's really back to a much more, uh, uh, a smaller unit again. So. And again, you know, this one, this one we haven't built yet. And number five, something we're talking with friends actually about who are dealing with older parents and watching um, their parents' age. And what we're really interested in exploring with friends and uh, clients and um, 
looking at starting something along these lines, uh, a community environment where a group of people get together and, and, and uh, have a shared um, carer or, or a body corporate who manages the, the spaces and um, some, you know, so they can still travel, they can still have their independence, but they're, they're in an environment where they're much more, um, where they're safer. And so we haven't got to that one yet either. So that's, um, well, that's, that's but stage four and stage five, they're the, they're the, they're the next steps on our personal journey, but um, that's, uh, that's as far as we've got. So thank you, I'll pass over to Mel. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Rosa. That was really great. Um, so I'm, I'm Mel from Make Architecture. We're a small local Melbourne practice, mostly designing small alterations and additions to heritage houses in inner city Melbourne. So look, it's, it's quite tricky to present architecture um, I know it sounds silly, but without a projector and our beautiful images that our wonderful photographers take of our houses. So Rosa and I are doing our best with the low-tech um, um, easel tonight. And I just thought with that and with what Tony asked us to talk about, rather than show you just one project that we've done, I thought it might be nice to sort of think about a little, a group of projects, but think about a group um, really in the context of what, what MAKE does and what we believe in. And so I sort of start with this page because this is this really fun process a year ago where we, where we redesigned our ID and I, had, I was sort of asked to describe what we believe in and what, what does MAKE mean and what do we do. And, and in the end it was this really fabulous process for us because I got to kind of clarify these things, these sort of ideals that we have in architecture and that it should do something where, you know, we're not believers in style, we're, we're interested in process. And so hopefully these sort of ideas about what we do, that we should, what should architecture do? What do we want it to do? So we think we should make it respond to the seasons, make it engage with the street, make it responsive and not just to the environment, but to a brief or to um, the changing times of day or to the context or to the um, neighbour's fence. It should, we should make it with delight. We should make it part of the city. We should make it site specific. Make space for sharing. Um, you can see the rest anyway, so it goes on. Make it to last, um, our approach I suppose to sustainability. But in the context of today, I thought maybe I should think about some of these projects uh, that 
and what we're doing that might be particular to this time. And I think they're sort of very similar to what Rosa was talking about. There's this idea of technology and how do you deal with kids and technology. For us, there's also a lot of, the, a lot of our projects involve the thinking about space, sort of flexible and adaptable houses that really, in some ways, it's really nice to hear Rosa talk about these stages because we, what, sometimes what we're trying to do is think about those stages in the one house and how the one house might um, accommodate that change. And so thinking again about um, architecture, I suppose, as loose fit, that maybe the space can change over time with a family's needs. Uh, yeah, that I suppose in, in some ways that the space gets recycled rather than the, the actual material. We talk about things being multifunctional, that, that things should expand and contract. And really, I suppose, um, maybe why Tony invited us here, we like the idea of designing small, efficient homes. So this idea of quality over quantity. And uh, maybe that's not particular to this time, because, but in response to this time, that in Australia, our housing sizes are totally bloated. And so I suppose one of the things we've been trying to think about is how do we sort of tighten this up and make more smaller, more efficient houses. Tony talked about rooms as well. And maybe in some ways, I think it's gone from houses that have lots of very separate rooms to then the, um, the bob, the box on back, where it's a big space that we put everything in. And I think now where, where we talk about it in, at MAKE is that we like the idea of um, small, of connected spaces but there might be still open plan, but there's a sense of separation as well. So sort of trying to find that balance that they're not these big boxes on backs and these big sort of open plan, uncomfortable spaces. This idea of home and work, again, Tony, you talked about that, but this idea that they're, that they're blurred, that we're, that we're, we're sort of working in more, with more flexible hours and so that sometimes then bleeds into home and how do we, how do we accommodate those sort of things in, in house design. And then lastly, a thing for make is maybe about the idea of how do we kind of, in a private house design, think about issues of density and this desire to have a conversation about increasing the density in our cities and that even at the level of a private home, we like the idea that we're trying to make a contribution. And so I suppose the, the thinking for us on a, few, a lot of our projects is designing spaces that connect with communities and that in some ways as the city gets, um, as, as we increase the density, what, we, what we're sort of thinking about is that the city becomes the backyard. So how do we activate uh, underutilised spaces? And so I'll show you some of them. So all of the projects tonight are we hope, we think forever homes. We've designed them for these clients that we, they think they're never, they're never leaving. We hope that's the case. Um, they're extensions to heritage houses in inner city Melbourne. And the budgets are between 400,000 and 800,000. That, I don't know if 800,000 sounds a lot to, to people, but it's not a lot when you're an architect um, trying, to, trying to produce architecture. Anyway, we do our best with what we've got. So I also thought I would just talk through this idea of Tony talked about irregular plans. And sometimes I think our plans look a little bit wacky, but it's not through a desire to do wacky things. We're really just responding to simple constraints of site and issues of um, 
responding to the seasons. So I'm going to put these down. I thought I would pass models around. Um, the wonderful Jess who made them for us will kill me if I get them broken. But I thought as I talk about each project, I might pass them around if you, if you want. We can see how it goes. So the first project, this is the one Tony talked about that um, has been out and about a lot lately, Local House. And I don't want to talk about the projects in absolute detail. So rather tonight, I thought I would focus on these these sort of some of these ideas. So what was interesting for us about Local House in that context? Everyone loves the timber screen and I love it too, but in some ways some of the bits that are um, even more interesting to me in this conversation are things like the little laneway seat at the back lane or the, or the porch for the flexible studio garage. And it's maybe not as kind of um, dramatic architecturally um, as our timber screen. This one's a heavier one, so I won't pass it around, but that's a little model we made of the, of the timber screen. And I'll pass this around so I can show it to you. So that's, that's local house there with the flexible, this is going to be tricky, <laughs> flexible studio space on the back and a garage. And, and this is basically, it's a Californian bungalow with a new bit here, double storey with living spaces and a, and a bedroom above. Shift, shifted, I think it's going to be, anyway, well, pay, or, pay or hold it for me. Thanks, pay. <laughs> um, shifted to this side because north is facing that way opened up at the back to capture some of the views at, of distant trees. So then this is this the garage and the laneway out the back with uh, the main street here. And really it was about a lot about this space. So designing this flexible sort of studio space that could be teenage retreat, it could be home office, it could be a nanny flat to look after the little kids, it could be a granny flat to let your mum move in, it could be a carer's flat, or it could even be in St Kilda a a separate sort of backpacker or Airbnb rental. So we like the idea that the sort of house can expand and contract. And we like that it that there's an, it's not a new conversation to sort of to talk about activating laneways in Melbourne, but still in, in sort of the suburbs, laneways are thought of often as that's the place where the druggies are. We better build a big fence and close it down and oh everything will be graffitied there. We better not do anything there that's sort of precious. And so we quite like the idea that we might suggest that the laneway is a place, an important public place, that, that if we suggest this, other people will follow and that then it becomes a safe place that kids want to ride their bikes up and down. And that's really exciting to us because it's already happening. There's a project proposed just here that we know the architects that are doing. So it's like fa fabulous that these little things get known as places. So... That's that little sort of studio space. Another thing we talked about designing efficient homes and a sort of um, more recent thing we've been looking at is how do you sort of squeeze all the stuff in with a kitchen and a dining room and our sort of latest little thing we've been exploring is almost sort of resisting the kitchen island bench, you know, the kitchen bench, the island bench and then the dining table and how do we kind of make this a more efficient thing. So the dining table gets sort of pushed up against the kitchen bench and in many ways makes it this kind of quite um, fabulous communal space. So we're doing that a little bit. Um, you can see here, this is the, um, the kitchen dining space. 
and this is the lounge room. And then this is this is actually we do mostly do this is our biggest project, but um, that to date. But um, it was our first theatre room, and I always really objected to theatre rooms. So um, and thought architects that did them were terrible. But anyway, I'm I'm confessing. Um, but I thought if we're going to do a theatre room, it must be useful and it must operate as other things than just this sort of dark space that you close down and no one else goes into. And so what we liked, the idea, if you look at the other pictures we've got, it's actually divided by a stair and a big sort of operable wall here. So in many ways it's sort of part of the space. So this sort of idea of being connected but with the ability to close it down. And also that I like that it doesn't have to stay a theatre room, that it you know, can become a guest bedroom or something like that as well. I think that's probably enough on this project. I'll pass this one around. You can sort of have a, if you want to, do you want me to do that? Oh, we'll see, there we go. This is a recent project. I had to really um, harass our photographer this week because we just photographed it on Monday and I was really excited I could um, bring a few images today and show you this one. It's called the, oh, thanks, Bo. It's called the Myrtle Tree House and really looks like a pretty wacky plan, but really uh, comes from some really basic sort of ideas or a basic brief from our client. She really wanted to keep these two trees and she wanted to have a, a place to park a car and to have a workshop. And we really wanted the living spaces to face north. So it was this sort of constant juggle to see how we could fit all of these different things in and fit them all around the trees. And so I was quite, it was sort of, to me, one of the best briefs that you had to, you know, design this thing around the, around the trees, the crepe, the myrtle tree and the fig tree. You can see it here. The, look, I won't, I'm not going to talk about the design a lot. It was really, this one was really about sort of stitching this project into the context. So these walls that shift up and down, that make an arch to make space for the tree, sort of shift around, tuck in under the eave of the Californian bungalow and shift down and around to become, to become a fence and connect it up. I'll pass that one that way. But just from a simple idea of wanting it to face north, really, and to fit all those things in. In terms of the context of the things we've been talking about, the workshop space, oh, I can't, I've, if I had images, I would show you a really nice image of the garage. Um, it's the best sort of looking garage you'll see. But if you can imagine this lining board ceiling continues down into the garage, so it's treated as an important sort of space. And in some ways, yeah, that costs more money to do a nicer looking garage, but you get double the space back because when the car's not there, it can become a, a shaded sort of um, workshop or a place where the kids can scoot around. And so in, in many ways, you get sort of four times the function for spending a little bit more money. So this idea that the, the garage is a workshop, it's a, um, a, you know, outdoor play space, a place to sit. But also, importantly, again, it's on the lane and we really love the idea because you always have to keep the heritage house. To me, it's a bit of a shame because everyone just does sort of these decorative gardens in the front and then no one talks to their neighbours. So we're always sort of trying to find these places where we can say, let's, you know, make space to sort of connect people and, and allow these sort of neighbour conversations to happen. Really fabulous that this client's 
just started her veggie patch in the front yard, which is great. Um, and then, but we, we liked the idea that this is this sort of workshop space where actually Rose's kids play basketball. So um, there's a nice connection tonight, but um, there they are. <laughs> um, anyway, and we like the idea that our client would be in their workshop um, and there's that sort of connection with the, with the neighbours. So other things, there's always a study in the kitchen. I didn't show you that in local house, but similarly, there's always this spot for technology that Rose is talking about, a space where you could do home admin while you've got something on the, on the um, cooking. <laughs> Forgotten the word. Um, my husband will say that's because I don't do enough of it. <laughs> um, anyway, um, and so this idea that there's a spot to charge all the sort of technology and, um, and do that while it's sort of other things are going on. What else? Uh, this space at the sort of front, we like the idea that that's a sort of second living space but could become an extra bedroom if you wanted or a study. I put this one up because this is an, an old project, but in many ways where it started, I haven't got a model of it actually. We might have to do a retrospective one, Jess. Um, but this was the, the project that we called House Reduction. And in many ways it's where we started all um, those years ago thinking about what houses should do. And it really for us started this conversation of maybe things should be smaller. And it, it came really from this brief from these clients, an existing heritage house, this is the street at the front with a quite a sort of a prominent sort of uh, cut through road at the back. But it really was about trying to provide suburban amenity in an urban sized site. And so part of that came from reducing the house size to make space for a garden, but also for this flexible studio garage space. So re really the first sort of flexible studio garage that we did and we just keep doing them. and. They seem to be working well. So this is for their teenage sons. And we, again, like the idea, even though this is upstairs, it doesn't activate the street as much. This street was really treated as a back of houses. It was all sort of, you know, garage doors and backs of houses, whereas on the other side of the road, it was important sort of address for, for commercial buildings. So we like the idea that we would treat this as a place again, that it would have an entrance. Uh, house reduction, we, we talked a lot about maybe this idea of this deck, this is an outside deck space that, that really worked as this flexible space as well that allowed the living, quite small living spaces that could expand and contract. So instead of, our clients wanted a space for a 20 person Christmas dinner, instead of giving them that, we gave them space for a standard sized dining table but allowed them to design it so that all these screens slid back and they could then put another table next to it and have their big dinner party. Uh, just another, we'll just do some of these quite quickly. This is called the M House and it's this little one here, another heritage house at the front with a thing at the back. The challenge with this one was that north was to the front of the site, that way. Too many um, things, it's fine, pay, I'm, I'll be all right. I'll try not to point. Um, and so look, really the key challenge with this one was how do you get north light into living spaces? A really modest, small house in Northcote. So, Anyway, that was it here with this sort of high level peaks that let the northern, northern sunlight in. Again, 
the kitchen bench becomes the becomes the desk or the study. So this sort of connected spaces. Do you want that one? You want that one? Sorry, you're going to get them all. Um, yeah. And then now just a few more coming up, just some ones. We're always more excited about the ones that are next. So I always like to talk about some of them. We obviously haven't got nice images of it yet. The site looks like that. Uh, this is Prince, a house in Princess Hill. On a, I really like seeing all the models together. On a really, really tight site in Princess Hill. So Look, the thing about this one was just how do we how do we fit on this site the sort of flexibility for this family to grow and change and it you know the the interesting thing about this one is again that garage the garage becomes the is actually a music room you can park a car in there but it's the first garage we've ever done with hydronic in-floor heating um, and that's a bit indulgent for the car but when the car's not there which is most of the time it will be a study or a um, or a music room and so we love the idea that that's sort of when they go away they can park their car there but it's actually a useful space and again I, I always imagine them with the garage door open at the back talking to their neighbours walking their dogs so I'll pass that one around too just a couple more and this one's about to start on site, a house to catch the sun, a really sort of modest house in, in Northcote, another heritage bit on the front, and then we're doing this sort of extension out the back with North this way. We really liked the idea that we would make this courtyard garden that wrapped around. You can sort of see in the model here, these pop-ups are here to sort of catch the sun. And this idea of rooms, that there's a living space and a dining space with a kitchen connecting in the middle and that these things wrap around. They're like Rosa, I think, connected, but there's this sort of sense of a place where you can get away. Another study here in the kitchen. And just lastly, this project's also starting on site in, oh, I'll, just, I'll just show you this one that I haven't got a sheet for. This is a project that never got built that I really wish would get built one day or maybe someone else will call me up. This is really exciting because it had a park at the back, so heritage house at the front, but a reserve at the back. And so we designed all the living spaces upstairs with a big stair down, with a big sliding sort of fence so that the whole sort of stair and entrance became an amphitheatre. Still trying to find someone to engage us to, to build something like this. If you like it, let me know. Um, and and <laughs> I promise I'm not trying to get business here tonight. Anyway, last one is Perimeter House, which is a house in Abbotsford that we are starting on site next year. So really excited about this one and really excited about this one, I suppose, because it's you, if you think about all the things that we liked about our other projects and things that we we're excited by, this project had a lot of them and allowed us with really supportive clients to sort of explore a few more. So it was, it's in an, I, I might just pass it. You can sort of see just before I pass it around, existing house and it, sorry, pay, you can just hold it up. Existing house 
a street here and the main street here with a heritage building and in an industri industrial zone. And so it was really fad fantastic because we didn't have to worry about any neighbours in this, in this project. And I really was really excited about the fact that this, this was hard up on the street and it meant we could actually build to all the boundaries, which is why it's called Perimeter House. And so for me, that's... Thanks, Pay. The thing that was really exciting about that is that rather than creating a second closed-off living space, this whole perimeter becomes the kind of study, the little day bed, the record player and the seat, almost like the music room just in the space of the joinery. And what I love is this idea that you could sit there at your desk and look out the window and open up the thing and have a chat with your neighbours walking past. And again, with another little porch that you can sit on. That's probably enough from me. Um, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for coming. If anyone has any questions, I'm sure Rosa or Mel would be happy to answer them. Do we have any questions from the audience? Okay. I might just make an observation. Um, and there's a few, few students here that have uh, probably heard me talk before. But it's interesting just listening tonight to both speakers who came at the design of a house from a very, very different perspective, which I think was really wonderful. But it reminded me of Robin a little bit in that um, he was a very intuitive architect and I've spoken to a number of his clients who said they didn't actually give him a brief, but they invited him around for dinner and he just sat there and observed them and from that he had to work out what their, their needs and what their uh, aspirations were. And then when he was writing a book called Living in Australia, which was the last book, or one of the last books he published, he identified his four key drivers for design. And he, he spoke about surface, space, and structure as the first three, which are very sort of standard modernist um, principles. Um, but then the, it's the fourth aspect of design that he said was the most important, and I think what differentiates his work from many others. And he talks about the spirit of a building. And when he talks about spirit, he's talking about the need for an architect to understand his clients or her clients and to really try and identify the, the character, the aspirations and the, the ideals of clients and build them into their buildings. And I think tonight Mel and Rosa have both shown how the houses they've been looking at really do embody the qualities and the aspirations of their clients. And that's what we need to... Uh, to really design sustainable buildings, socially sustainable in the long term. So, any other questions or no? Would you like to make any observations or comments? Please give me back the models. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Anne. You can't have it all night. Okay, in that case, well, thank you very much to Rosa. Thank you to Mel. And thank you all for coming. Good night.